I almost fell off the mountain in Moab. <laughs> I, I was so focused on him that I missed a turn. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. Well, I don't want to fight. Well, offer me the peace of mind. All right, welcome everyone to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner, and in today's episode of the Trail Life, I sit down with Johnny Rodriguez to talk about race pacing and being a support crew member on an ultra race. We'll talk stories on what he's experienced, his success and failures personally, and some do's and don'ts of being a race pacer. So without further ado, my next guest, Johnny Rodriguez. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast is brought to you by Blue Rub. Protect against friction and saddle sores, train harder, perform better, and recover faster with natural body care products from Blue Rub. See the entire collection at bluerub.com and by Built with Chocolate Milk. Recover from every workout with chocolate milk. It's the sports drink nature intended. Get more information at dairydiscoveryzone.com. Johnny Rodriguez. Welcome to the Trail Life Podcast, brother. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Excited to be on the uh, excited to be on the show and uh, be able to talk to you. Um, so, you know, I had your brother Hector on about a month and a half ago. And now that I've got you on, I'm realized that I'm cycling my way through the Wolfpack crew. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm here overall to find out your dirty little training secrets. So that way I can spread it out throughout the, the trail community. So people have a chance to beat you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All kidding aside, everybody knows you guys are badasses out there on the trail. And it's very motivational to see you guys crushing it. Think of this, this challenge that we're currently doing. I, I remember you guys were doing an, have you guys done a couple overnights or at least one uh, overnight? Dennis? I know that me and my brother have, uh, my sister was supposed to make it out. She couldn't, some had came up. Uh, me and my brother did. And then I did another one here at the house. Sometimes, you know, with work and life, you gotta, you gotta adjust for it. Right. And if that means going out all night, then, then we got to do it. Um, I know we ran bleachers, we ran Hills, we went out to Palm Springs. So, so we got to get it where we can, but, but we never step, we never stop. We're always moving with it. hundred yeah. percent. Sharpen on those knives, as you guys say, huh? Oh man. Sharpening <laughs> the axes for the wood chopping. <laughs> well, Hey, we're, we're here to talk about race pacing today and not so much on the style of pacing of minutes per mile, but more or less the uh, team support, a course support for a runner, for a family member, a friend, whatever it is during an ultra race. And I know you've had some interesting experiences being a a pacer for your brother. So I kind of want to, before we get into the conversation of what a pacer should know or what the do's and don'ts are, what's your experience overall as far as being a, a pacer for an ultra race? So some of the races, I mean, obviously Hector himself is, he's a He's a beast. So the races that I've paced, I've had the opportunity to pace for him is, you know, we've had the last man standing event that went on for a day and a half. We've had the 24 hour event that I've been able to pace. And then most recently, the Moab 240, which which is that multi day of pacing. Uh, and then those races are our are, are work, you know, but they're a great learning experience. They're a great thing to be a part of whether you're running or pacing. It's it's an awesome race to be there for and just to watch, you know, the runners uh, work their way through it. 
Yeah. So you, so it's nice. I'm glad you mentioned the 240 because I, that was my conversation with Hector was the, from the runner perspective, from a pacer perspective. I mean, what were your thoughts as far as, you know, middle of the night, having to pace or because I know you guys can only pace at certain points in time. When did you have a chance to pace him? Like, well, so, do, you, do you remember what miles and stuff that you were, you had to pace him? I want to say, so he wasn't able to get a pacer until I say about 70 or 80 miles into the race is when it started. Yeah. Uh, I think I started pacing him somewhere or maybe 120, 110, somewhere around there. And just going through the nights, going through the days, you 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 do your planning right before the race even gets there. You you got to do the backtrack. You got to look at the courses, GPS files. You got to start setting up. You know who can do what leg. How many runners do I think I need? Uh, it's real important to start grabbing some of those ideas before we even get to the course. You know the required gear of this course was was heavy enough. Every pacer had to have the same required gear as the runner. Uh, so that was. Yeah, that was new for us because normally, you know, you're, you're doing a 15 mile leg. You just grab your pack with some water and you get out there and get it done where where now, you know, I'm carrying I'm carrying 20 pounds on my back, just the same as he is. So as it as it starts breaking down, you know, we look at what it takes to to do it. So we're looking at. All right. Everybody in this race who's going with them has to be able to run an ultra. All of us ran an ultra in that race. Uh, you start breaking down this is the flattest part. Maybe this person's not the best at climbing, or maybe this person's got some real good speed. You look at, all right, the Lachey mountains, those things were, were a beast in itself. You look at who's got the best climbing and you try to like break down your team and, and put them in their right places. And so we did a lot of that. Uh, you set up times, Hey, I think I'll be at this time and, and this part of the course. And, and it's, it's definitely the, the homework has to be done before you even get there. Um, you know, you'll look at being able to make changes. So if you have nighttime, you got to have your nighttime tote set up. You got your clothes, your boxes, your lights. And it's just really bringing out the required gear and doing your homework because it really sets the tone for whether you're going to succeed or you're going to fail in this race, yeah. uh, especially races such as the Moab 240. So did you, and we'll just, we'll stick with this uh, event as an example for you personally. Did you find that there was anything that you did during that event that could have been done better? Like, did you find any, any learning aspect of it from, from something that didn't go correct? Definitely lots of learning and pacing, running and crewing. Um, It's, it's never ending too, because you're you're never going to hit you're never going to have, I want to say some of the same problems twice. There was well, a each, point. I, each race is different, right? Each race is going to be like, I time. almost, I almost fell off a mountain. I almost fell off the mountain in Moab. <laughs> I, I was so focused on him that I missed a turn and I slipped and I ended up getting hurt on that mountain. And I was like, holy cow. Like, what did I just do? I just blew it. I slipped and it was like maybe two feet wide. And the one tree that happened to be on the side of this mountain was the one I slid down into and crashed my knee into it. And it was like one of those instant, like, oh, like worst pains. And, you know, when it first happens, you're like, damn, I just broke my knee. No one's going to come and help us. We got no cell phone service. Uh, My knee just busted. He's 180 miles in. He's not coming down. And it's funny because I remember looking at him. And I was hurt. I was really hurt. And he kind of looked at me. He goes, you're going to get up, man. And like his brain was gone. And I was like, dude, I, I need help. He goes, well, I can't reach down there and get you. <laughs> I was like, he had no, 
he had no extra energy. I'm like, dude, you don't let me die down here. Um, I remember stopping and just kind of uh, sitting down um, for like 15 minutes and just holding my knee until like the pain actually subsided. Uh, it was freaking horrible. Um, oh my God. So, and I, what I was doing was trying to fuel him. You know how he loves his social media. I was trying to fuel him. Like he wanted to be recorded. I was recording him and I had it up like this. And the minute I looked up, I missed the turn and fell off. Since that day, I've never, um, I've never been recording on a trail like that ever again. I, that was my, my one, you did it, you failed, you're done. Cause I was like, yeah, Mr. Cool guy, you just almost killed yourself. And like I said, there was that one tree and about a hundred foot drop. So I got lucky that I hit the tree. Um, actually to this day from that fall, like my knees got hurt, my knee got hurt. And that's the same knee that had issues with me on my last man standing. And like my knees bugging me now. Um, you know, I kind of do some exercises to get it back, but it's real quickly that you can jack yourself. I've been jacked up for months on that knee. Like it, it was like a jagged branch that just went up inside my kneecap. And so I still have pain from that race, dude. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to edit that story in, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> because that's a great story. Oh my God. That's a, that's a, uh, don't do social media while you're, while you're pacing somebody's story. That, that's a, yeah. Anything else you learned uh, besides falling off a mountain? I think one of our biggest learning curves in this race was knowing the distance between how far it was going to take us to get to each location. We had a set, we had like, I'd call it our headquarters set up in this race and where we would have to get back to it, get the gear. Maybe we want to rest. It was two and a half hours away, two hours away. Oh, wow. So we, yeah, it was a drive. So as, as little as he slept, we were kind of almost on that same thing. You know, we, we drive two hours to get to him, whether we're waiting for him or we're getting him back on the course. Uh, it's still a two hour drive back. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. You, at first, when we first got there, we weren't looking at, do we need a four by four vehicle? We had rented vans to be able to crew him. And I think there was several or a few, at least different locations where we couldn't even get there. Had we brought the vans, we would have been, you know, hauling all this gear miles in just to get to him. Oh, so we're God. lucky he had brought his truck out or else we would have been in trouble. So uh, I think going over that, had he not had his truck, that would have been our biggest fail. Um, and then the second one is just knowing how far that distance is to get to him. You know, you can't only go with one runner. If you were thinking, Hey, I'll run out and meet you. And then I'll run 20 miles. Another person has to go with you on your team to be able to bring that van back. Um, so you're, you're down two runners already. So a real important one is knowing the right amount of runners to be able to bring with you throughout this, not even on being able to run the legs, but being able to just transport your vehicles back and forth because it's so far away or, or things of that nature. All right, let's shift gears to pace your gratification. Cause I know seeing the runner cross the finish line is probably one of the most gratifying aspects of being a pacer. But I know along the lines, there's gotta be other areas, whether they're reaching milestones or new miles or whatever it is. What's your take on that? Well, seeing, you know, it, I have the ability in this race of obviously doing it with my brother. So I know his milestones of what he's hit along the way. And I know what he's been capable of or what he has done up until that point. So just knowing milestones along the way, Hey, you know what? You just hit a hundred miles. You know, what's your next step? Uh, it's 150 miles. Once he hits that, it's like a victory each time he hits it, um, making your way all the way through the course. Uh, 
uh, up into the Lachey Mountains, when you know it's going to be the hardest, the longest stretch, or maybe not the longest stretch, sorry, but definitely the hardest stretch. It's like it's 18 miles, 10,000 feet of climbing or something like that. Just to see his progression of, you know, maybe mile 100, he's in good spirits. Mile 50, he's in his low and he's struggling. And seeing him being able to come out of it, you know, uh, is very gratifying in itself because you're watching this person go from, you know, doing a hundred mile race to automatically jump into 240. So his building that took to get to this point is just amazing because I don't know if he had ever climbed over 10,000 feet in a race. So when you're hitting 20,000 feet and we're still partying in the cave up in the mountains, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's amazing because we, we, I remember telling him a bunch of times, you know, as being a pacer, you want to keep his mind off of every single step he's taken. You know, we, we would just remind him like, man, you're 150 miles in and we're running right now. Like how amazing is it? 150 miles and we're running, you know, we're climbing, yeah. we're doing our thing. So uh, I think just watching that progression throughout was as a pacer, you're watching someone succeed. It, it's as much his baby as it was yours. You, it's countless hours of, of, of all of us being there and just seeing him um, cross the finish line. I think it was an emotional moment for all of us, you know, cause it, it took a lot to get there. And definitely if we all knew how many hours that runner put in just to get there, uh, and the work and the grind and, you know, the, the time away from family it takes to be able to complete something like that is inspiring nonetheless. So I think there's a couple points you made in there that uh, definitely lead into to our conversation about being a race pacer and being that support crew on, uh, on an ultra race. And one of the things that you had mentioned just a second ago was, you know, knowing what the course, knowing what the course is, right? Having the, the course maps and knowing where you're your elevation points are going to be, maybe where your flat points are going to be. How important is it to know like the rules uh, of, of the race as well, or what the course conduct is uh, when it comes to the race as well? Because when when you're a pacer, and this is a great example of what you said, is you couldn't even pace Hector until mile 70 or 75 or whatever it was, right? So right. where does knowing the rules as well fall into you know, the, the planning process. And that's really where I, I want to start is the, the planning aspect of becoming a pacer. Like what should somebody know from the, from point A to all the way to point Z when the race is finished? So I would say like a normal checklist for us is, is you're going on the race website, you're checking the course info, you're looking at the distances when you can actually have a pacer is, is the most important part there. And then after you're able to have that pacer, I think for us is downloading the GPS, you know, we're able to download the GPS of the race and having that like handy at all times, because if you ain't paying attention to that, it's, it's a hard day when you go off course, knowing the distances between aid stations is, is also another life changer because these races, some of them are they're 18 to 20 miles in between the, uh, the aid stations required gear, just from a safety standpoint, knowing the weather, I mean, the weather was huge this race, particularly the weather swung from, you know, it was 30, 40 degrees at night and then 70, 80 degrees in the day where it was pretty warm. Um, and then at the same time, you think at the beginning of the race that all this is going to go according to plan and everything is going to work. You know, I'm, I'm going to hold this pace the whole time. When I get there, I'm going to be able to sleep and this is how we're going to do it. So when it doesn't go according to plan, like have a plan B, be able to say, you know what, this didn't work. As a team, he's going to get to this next aid station. What do we have to do? Where's the, the local store at? Where's a, a hiking store? There was a point in this race where, like, the bag 
uh, we had to make like a bag swap. It didn't really work or the bed wasn't what he thought it was going to be. We had to run down and get like a, a real thin mattress to set something up because it wasn't working. His feet were bad. We we're having to work on them constantly. And, and it's being able to make those quick changes uh, is real important. Um, so setting a lot of those things up prior is, is important because it, it could either make or break that race. The rules, for one, if you don't know the rules, you could you could DQ your runner, and oh man, it would be a bad day. You DQ your runner. Well, and I think that's like the biggest. I think that could be the biggest fear sometimes too. Is yeah. you you maybe jump out on the course a, a mile or even a half mile too soon, and next thing you know, they're DQ'd and all this work is down the toilet. You know. Yeah, like this race, you're only allowed one pacer. And so you're only allowed one pacer at a time. They couldn't start till a certain time. So, you know, if you, you run down and you want to see them sometimes, you know, in these races, you want to run out and like run that last little bit of leg with them or, or at least run up to them. You got to really know that you can't do that stuff. These races are, are real particular and you got to make sure you follow directions hundred percent. You know, towards the end of that race, I had, I had walked up to Candace and when he was like at mile 239 and I like made sure I asked for permission. I said, Hey, can I run out to him? We want to, we want to turn the speaker up. We want to play the music. We want to get him going on his walk in. So you got to make sure you know it or, you know, DQ and your racers, not going to be a, not going to be a good day, a hundred something miles in. <laughs> so one of the things too, that I always thought that would be pertinent is know, know what to expect from your runner or the runner should know what to expect from you, right? Like, are they a conversationalist? Right. Do they like silence Do you know, what kind of motivation do they need during the, during the race? I mean, that's always kind of been my thought process too. And out there helping out, like, okay, I don't want to talk too much. I don't want to talk too little. Do you want to motivate them as you know best you can in different sections where somebody needs that motivation a little bit more than others and how, what's the point of where you back off at, you know? Yeah. So I'd say like knowing your runner, is, you know, 99% of the time when you're pacing somebody, you know, the runner, or you've ran with them a few times before. So you're, you're learning how they are and whatnot. So like with Hector, I'll say, Hey, do you, do you want me to run in front or behind? Particularly with him, he wants me to run in front. It's real easy, you know, to want to turn your mind off and just keep putting your foot in front of the other and not have to worry about like looking up at the ribbons, you know, looking up at the ribbons as a pacer, sometimes you're tired, you, you're doing an ultra yourself yeah. and pacing. And then, you know, maybe a hundred miles in he's talking, but at mile 120, the talking's done and we're eight hours of silence. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you know, we've been together too long. It's just, your brain isn't always going to work. So you got to know that as you, as you're talking to him and he stops responding or he or she stops responding, you know, you're starting to get to that point of, of fatigue. You always got to remember, hey, you know, make sure you're getting food, make sure you're getting uh, water. You know, you're, you're constantly reminding your runner like every 30 minutes, 15 minutes. Hey, did, did you get your drink in? Did you get your food in? Reminding them of that. Everyone has their different, I would say, points of, of where they want. So even as far as running ahead of them and, and looking at the big rocks that they may not see, you don't want your runner to roll his ankle. Yeah. You're kicking the stones out of the way for them. You're lighting the way. You're looking for the ribbons reminding them to eat, you know, at certain points, if, if it's getting low, you know, we'll turn on the music and, and we'll just let music go and, and kind of kill the conversation for that point. And hopefully it'll get him back out of, out of his low. But then at the same time, if he's in that low, you know, maybe start, start trying to bring up a story, you know, bring up where he's been at, you know, the beginning of this stage to, Hey, you're, you're halfway done using that as fuel, finding whatever fuel is going to get your runner moving again 
you know, whether that's, you know, texting the next aid station, Hey, we're two miles out. You know, I want everybody to, to like, get, like if there was a point in Moab where I had text the family, like, Hey, we're half a mile away. You know, I'm going to get him jogging in, but like have everybody at the end of the road, have music going. And like the minute he's seen that he went from being like, I'm hurt, I'm tired to, he was like at mile one again. And it's doing <laughs> things like that, that brings your runner out of his low, you know, and making sure that you can find what's going to drive him and fuel him. And, and it's real important uh, doing things like that, you know, especially having your family with you. Hey, if, if he's at his very lowest point, bring his daughters out to this one, bring his wife out to this one. And, and, and like every time he sees them and, and does stuff like that, his energy levels instantly up. And so having the right support group is uh, important. For sure. Yeah. Now let, let's kind of go into uh, being at an aid station, right? Like if you're coming into a, like an aid station area. What should a support team know about getting into that aid station? Is it because um, some aid stations, depending on the race, they'll have nutrition, you know, whether it's, you know, sandwiches or drinks or just whatever it is. Um, or, you know, a lot of times runners have their own stuff. I mean, how important is it for like your support team to know what the, what the runner needs when they come into an aid station. So what we're doing, uh, just us personally, as a team, we have like our crew boss, which is always our sister. We know this is your job. We have X amount of jobs we have to cover while he's here in this aid station. This is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. And this is what you're doing. And the minute he gets in there, it's like a NASCAR pit crew. Everybody breaks off. And at the end of it, you know, we have this amount of time or he's sleeping. So the last runner coming in, normally that guy is like, hey, I got food. He runs in, he'll go to the aid station, he'll grab food. You always ask the runner, hey, what do you want? How much calories you want to take in? It's not only getting them the food at that moment, but say they have uh, like, you know, the goos and stuff, how much calories, letting the runner know the next spot is 10 miles, no aid stations. We're moving at this mile per hour. It should take us three hours to get there. 500 calories an hour. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay. So let's go up to the aid station, grab 1500 calories and bring it back to the truck, load it in the bag. Like that's nutrition is going to be clutched. Then the other guy at the team, luckily I had the, the awesome job of, of working with his feet. His feet were, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to ask about that. <laughs> oh man. He had like mini Goggins feet. Um, so working, you know, that's, you're working on that, whether you're working through the blisters, you're putting like that moleskin on, feet are real important. So that person has that job. And then the other person is asking, Hey, what do you want for clothes? The batteries on your headphones, the batteries on your cell phone charger, like everybody has their assigned job. It only takes one person to kind of mess up the next 18, 20 miles of that race. So, so the crew boss is definitely making sure that this person's doing this and this person's doing that. And at the end of it, you're doing like a final checklist where the battery's charged in the headlamp. Did you get your food? You got 1500 calories for this next leg or whatever it's or whatever it is, how much water you got. And do you still have all your required gear? And if all that's checked out, boom, I'll see you guys at the next run and our, our next aid station and go out. So knowing that, but being able to, to pivot in case something goes wrong, if he gets there and he's like, Hey, I need to sleep. Then you know what, have your chairs ready in the back and uh, be able to sit down for a few hours and let him sleep for an hour or two. So it's, it's just being able to, to work around it, but definitely assigning the jobs before he gets there. Don't leave it up to, to everybody's going to figure it out when he gets there. Cause the first couple of times, you know, we had to rearrange it because the transition didn't go as smooth as we wanted it to. So like by that second aid station, we had it dialed in where we we're going to be like, okay, this is what's going on. 
this is your job, your job, your job. That's it. That's how it's going to be the rest of this race. So, you know, we're, we're using the two uh, Moab 240 as an example here. Let's talk about like on a hundred mile race, mm-hmm. you know, that all of this stuff is, uh, comes into play as well from the shorter, I say shorter, quote unquote, ultra races, right? Like you maybe not have to have as much stuff, but you're still going to have to have your headlamps and your hydration packs and, and medical kit you know, ready to go. When you're looking at, at those regular hundred milers, you know, as a pacer, that's stuff that you should be looking at as well and making sure you've got that. You've got your, you know, if it's a team that you're working with, everybody's got to go through that same checklist of, Hey, we need this, this, and this, um, to make sure we can get this successfully. You know, going back to the feet thing, the feet is like, once the feet go, like you're, you're toast, right? So what did you guys pack as far as medical supply? The event, you know, have a medical there at each aid station to help out with some of that stuff. What's, what's, what should a pacer know when they, when they have to help out with the feet and bandage them up and all that stuff? So for us at every aid station, they always have somebody who's like checking in on the runners. You know, they'll ask them, Hey, you've been taking in fluids. You've been doing this. It's important to know your runner as far as where he's at in his fatigue level uh, for, for safety reasons. You know, if he had some hallucinating going on during that race, as far as, you know, checking his feet, if there's certain parts of the feet where I, you know, I'm not a doctor by any means necessary, but if it's something beyond what I can do at these locations, they do have someone there who's like capable of like wrapping his feet beyond what I'm capable of doing. So it, you'll obviously assess the situation. You'll look, you'll be like, Hey, this is cool. We'll start, you know, even as far as popping the blisters, like, Oh, I got that short end of the stick. You know, we'll go through and, and we'll start looking at it, wrapping each one up. I, like you said, a foot, can, can kill your run. You know, you're landing on it every couple seconds or, you know, every second or whatnot. So making sure that they're taken care of, uh, you know, in these races, the sand gets through your shoe, you know, at almost every aid station where wiping his feet down, getting the sand off it, putting a new pair of compression socks on. And if not, then we'd have to take him over. I know we had to take him over to uh, the medical one time because his feet weren't looking too good. Just knowing when to, to pull that trigger and say, Hey, this is beyond us. We got to get you here. And they're going to be able to do a little bit better job than us. But almost every aid station has something to where if it's beyond what you guys are capable of doing, then then they should be able to handle it. You know, we're always bringing Neosporin. We're always bringing like a, a needle to be able to pop the blisters. You know, we're bringing, uh, I guess it's like almost like a fake skin that you could rub on their feet to kind of coat it. You're bringing, you know, we, we have some creams that if your knee starts hurting, we bring that, you know, like the massage gun to try and break it up. Uh, those are kind of our essentials. And, and, you know, if anything, he gets a big cut or some Motrin, <laughs> some Motrin over the long runs. And those are kind of like the essentials that we're bringing with us, our wraps in case you need a whole compression on something, if it isn't going as well. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I think that's pretty much in our kit. Anything outside of that, then we're probably going to leave it up to the race officials because it probably should be taken care of at that point. You know, those type of things kind of build into, you know, how irritable, uh, like how irritable, a runner can become as well. Right. So that that's also going to adjust. And that kind of goes into the know your runner. If your runner starts snapping at you, <laughs> make sure you have a little thick skin, you know, because there is going to be some irritability, whether you're, you know, hey, whether you're doing a hundred mile race and they're at mile 75 or 80, or you're doing a 240 mile race and they're at mile, you know, 150, 170, you know, so just it's inevitable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. So as a, as a support team, you have to understand that 
there's going to be a little bit of, of, a, <laughs> of yeah, some, 100%. some anger that's going to come out, you know, whether it's a little hangry on the, on the course and they know that they're not getting enough food or, you know, their feet are hurting and it just kind of bugs them a little bit. So always know, um, have a little bit of thick skin when it comes to, to your runner as well. Um, you could almost kind of see it build too. Like you, you can almost see oh, it building yes. in the runner. So, <laughs> so you'll, you'll kind of expect it like, Oh man, this part of the course didn't go as planned. You know, like you said, whether it's 240 or hundred miles, you know, you, you can get off course and you get off course or anything goes wrong. You can kind of see it building. And as it's coming, you can kind of try to make moves or, or do whatever you can, but yeah, having thick skin, you know, 70, 80 miles into a run, 50 miles into a run, the runner made, you don't know, he's, his mind has already been going through nights, days, however long he's been running for it. And it happens, you know, but like you said, the thick skin thing is, is it's, it's gotta be there because if you get mad at it too, then you, you know, your, <laughs> your team, your team, you gotta be able to get them to the yeah. end, but you can't get mad at it. it. It's all in good love. It's all in, at the end of it, I, when you cross that finish line, you're going to be, you know, giving each other a hug and, and talking about how amazing the journey was. So the, I think there's a, a really good point when it comes into a lot of things that irritability and, and, you know, running in front of the runner knowing what's going on, what's, what's down on the ground. It's inevitable during a lot of these races that you're going to get off course, you know, oh, yeah. whether you, whether you miss a ribbon, you miss a sign. Uh, and all of a sudden you, next thing you know, you're a mile, two miles off, off course. If you're a pacer that's with your runner, what would be the best, the best advice you could give to a pacer? If, if that happens, is it, Hey, we need to turn back around and I'll run, I'll run ahead. What, what's, what's your mentality on that? So what I did a few times, uh, you know, and it, it could happen in any size race. Um, that could happen in a 5k all the time. too. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, <doesn't happen>. <laughs> it happens for sure. Uh, sometimes the ribbons are spaced out a little bit more than, than what you would like, obviously, depending on where he's at. I, I, Hey, I'm telling the runner, keep your pace, keep what you got going on. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sprint ahead. Um, you know, as long as I know this path, he isn't going to make a wrong turn. I'm going to sprint ahead and try to find the next ribbon. And if it's there, great. Uh, I always make it a, a real good habit to print documents or, you know, print something out that says, hey, you're going to travel this distance. And normally the course info will kind of have a breakdown of the race for you. And it will we'll say, hey, you know, you got your little flash card with this segment. You know, at mile two, you're running up. You should make a right-hand turn. You're going to travel four miles. So also be looking for those um, those landmarks that they're setting out for you. And, and like you said, if you, you get off course – you don't want any more energy coming out of your runner than, than he's already exerting. So anything that you can get off his plate, whether it's running up ahead or, you know, doing the extra, trying to find the location, then that's what I got to be doing. It, his job is just to run the race. My job is to do everything else. So that's, I know I did that several times in some of these races, like I'm running ahead to look for the ribbon. And if it's not, by the time he gets to where I'm at, like I have the answer of, where we should be, how we're going to get there and uh, what needs to be done. And then even after you do that, if you had a set time schedule, like do that math of like, Hey, we may have to pick up pace a little bit more to make that time of what we said we were going to be. And, and if you do get off pace, it's so important knowing that aid station cutoff time, because depending on how far you got off course, that's true. You know, yeah, you're hoping that, you know, you didn't run an hour off. If you're already an hour off and you only had X amount of time, then you got to know your cutoff times. Cause if you don't make that cutoff time, you know, you're going to, you're going to haul butt the whole way there just to make it up and 
and you, you missed it anyway. So having all the answers, if, if you can, after you make that, that uh, mistake is, is real important. And that kind of goes into, you know, if you're having to, you said you had to sprint ahead to make sure that things are, you know, you're in the right position, you know, you're going the right way. That comes down to also, A, being trained yourself and being hydrated, being getting the right nutrition, because there are going to be some of those times where you're going to have to sprint ahead and make sure that things are going, you know, going in the right direction and everything else. So, you know, as a, that should be like your number one is to make sure that you're trained yourself and you know this and i think you said that when you uh, we started this conversation is every single one of the support staff you know during that we'll have 240 had run an ultra before you know that's that's always an important thing is to know know how an ultra you know event works you know how you how you react how you uh need to feel during a during a race yourself so johnny can you uh off the top of your head do you think there's any any of the, cause we've talked about a lot of the do's you need to do this. You need to do that. Is there anything that you can think of the top of your head? That's like, you do not want to do this. What are those things yeah. that, that pacers should just flat out a, B and C not do? I would say uh, one of the ones that we do is like, don't keep reminding the runner of what mileage he's at. The worst oh, thing you God, can yes. do, the worst thing you can do is let him know how much longer he's got. You know, that these people, you know, you come up to the aid station and they say, you're almost there. Well, you're never almost there. You know, you're still a marathon away or something it's like that. It's just around so, the bend. It's just around yeah, the bend. <laughs> yeah, you got one more climb, except it's, it's the hugest climb of all of them. So I would say don't don't remind your runner of where he's at, at least for us. You know, I, I'm not going to say you're 100 miles, you got 140 to go, or you're 40 miles, you got 60 miles to go, or whatever it is. Um, that's most importantly. And don't. I guess keep giving him thoughts of what's to come. Like he's gotten this part. Just let him focus on what he's got going on. I tried not to tell him, Hey, just letting you know, because like I said, we have a breakdown of the course before we get there. And if I know this giant climb is coming instead of telling him, Hey, you got this massive climb coming, get ready for it. What I'm telling him is, you know, strategically on the other half of it is like, Hey, let's start eating. Let's start eating, you know, get our calories up. And cause he's going to have to do it no matter what. The only thing you can do is make sure his body's in the right position to be able to do it. You know, let's get the liquids up. Let's get your food going. And, um, maybe if we have to slow down the pace because we're going to have to save ourselves for this climb. So I say that's, that's kind of key with us. Uh, you know, just don't remind him miles, you know, and, and don't let him know, Hey, you we climbed 6,000. We got 6,000 more to go. Don't do, like taking away his, his, uh, his thunder or what he's got going on in the climb. I'd say that's most importantly. And if you got anything is going on, you know, sometimes as a crew, you know, things don't go together. And like you said, having thick skin with your runners, you know, you, you want to keep them away from any issues that you may be having outside. You want to make it seem like everything's going smooth because you don't want to give him any more extra worries than what he already may have. You know, your job is to, is to, make sure his only focus point is to put one foot in front of the other. Uh, anything else we can talk about it when the race is done. Um, I say that's, that's kind of my key points on it. Nice. Well, I mean, you know, it's crazy. We, and you and I kind of talked about this off, you know, off, off mic, but pacing in today's, in today's world <laughs> is a little bit different. You know, we, can't do races in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. Um, some can, some can't. Uh, a great example is you just did the uh, last man standing challenge 
Correct. Uh, with Eric Vipa here just about a month ago. I saw on your social media feed how Hector was pacing you, but you were on a treadmill. And so that's really important to know too, that pacing doesn't have to just come down to being on the trail and helping somebody out and motivate them there. You, this was a great example of him helping you out, you know, getting you pumped up during your, during your challenge. Go ahead and speak on to your experience with, with that a little bit and kind of give, give people, if somebody didn't see it on social media, what was going on with that? Because I think it's, um, again, it's going to take a while for the event industry to get back to, to a normality. Right. And you're going to see people trying to do what they can if they don't have access to get on a trail and doing something, they have to get on a treadmill and they need some help and they need some support. Hey, if that's what it takes, you know, be the support crew there to help them out. So again, I, I'd love to, for you to tell the story of, of what Hector was helping you out with. Yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, at, throughout that race, I had, uh, you know, I had Mark, I had my sister, I had Hector with me. I had my wife. Everyone was, uh, you know, there was points in this race, I forget what mileage it was, you know, where all of a sudden the, the disco light turned on inside my house. You know, he, he may not be running with me, but the whole party in the pancake thing sticks. You know, it don't matter what mileage we're at, we're going we're gonna to try to have the best time we, we can with it. And, you know, whether you're out on a trail and you're kind of talking to him, keeping his mind off, or you're throwing the disco light on inside the living room while the runner's going at it. Uh, that was that was one of the most epic times, you know, having that thing go on. If you looked on the screen during this race, you know, everybody's screen is, you know, they just have their lights on and they're outside. But you look at our screen and it looks like we're in a nightclub. <laughs> it, it was uh, it was one of those epic moments for us. Um, but getting away just from that part of the race, uh, it's the same thing when it comes to making sure your your runners fueled, your runners drinking in a last man standing type of event you want to get off the treadmill and be able to drop into your chair. You don't know how long this race is going to go for it. There's no finish line. It's just, you're just going to keep going until you're obviously either the last man or, or your body's just kind of had its way with you. So they'll kind of know you. They'll start calling shots like, Hey, you need to eat this next round. Um, you know, I had my containers of tailwind. I, I power off tailwind quite a bit and, and they're looking They're same concept. If your brain should only be focused on running. So he's looking out for everything other than that. Uh, the treadmill, I guess, clutch moments we've ever had, like not only in my last man standing, but in his last man standing was I had brought another treadmill with me. We have two treadmills with us in these events in case one breaks. We don't know the life expectancy of our treadmill. And, and we give these things commercial use, just like a normal gym half the time anyway. And treadmills break. So like it's weird to say but like as he walks in i'm giving him a tour of my house like hey look this is the breaker panel in case in case the power goes off reset the breaker here the treadmill goes off i need it set up here uh setting up extension cords to different parts of the house so we don't blow panels you know but having your course food set up he's like hey you know what you did this fast the, the treadmill or my watch will tell me real closely hey you did 700 calories 600 calories 500 calories depending on your speed you got to match that with food the whole time. So you don't bonk. Yeah. So they're really taking care of me in that aspect. And it's not only, you know, that, but keeping the music alive, knowing your runner, when he's starting to get tired, knowing the right things to tell him. Uh, and sometimes, you know, just like you said, maybe I'm not the most talkative person at certain points of it. And so it's, it's trying to find the fuel that's going to get your runner moving again. And, and they're really great at it. My brother's awesome at it. I know I, maybe at that point that I was at a low point, all of a sudden the disco lights turned on and, and the, the 
the music that we we listen to turns on and you know it it's very uplifting you know no matter where you're well, at and I, well exactly and I, I again i saw it on social media once it was posted and instantly i mean i kind of started bobbing my head a little bit like cheering <laughs> for it because it it does it it feels you right away as soon as you see it and it was it was kind of an, it was a really cool thing to see and and it's goes to show that that being a support crew really doesn't just start and finish on a, on a trail. It, it's, it's right there in, in somebody's house. It's on, a, it's even on a road race, you know, right. It Absolutely. doesn't matter. You know, it's have to look at the support system for any race, just like you would in any situation. So it's, um, it's really cool. I hope, I hope that, you know, some of our listeners got, uh, got some notes out of this and I really appreciate you, Johnny getting on and, and talking about your experience, not only with the 240 and, and the last man standing event and stuff, but also talking about, the do's and don'ts of being a, a support crew in a, in a race and stuff. And I really appreciate it. Oh man. Thanks for having me on. It's been a, it's been a great time. All right, brother. Well, uh, I look forward to, uh, I gotta get out there on the trails of you and Hector sometime soon, you know? So, Oh, you let us know, man. We're, we're, <laughs> he's out in uh, Arizona right now. I'm out here in Temecula, but anytime you want to do that, we, we'd love to go out and hit the trails with you. All right, brother. Well, thanks again, Johnny. I appreciate it, man. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Bye. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Trail Life Podcast. A special thanks to Johnny Rodriguez for joining me today. I hope all of our listeners had a chance to take in some of the do's and don'ts of being a support crew and a race pacer for an ultra race. Um, you know, and and it, it is true in today's in today's environment with the way races are, being a pacer doesn't begin in in at, on a, on a trail. It, it does happen on, on a treadmill or on the road, uh, in your backyard, wherever it is that you, a runner and your friend or family need support. You can put some of these things into play. So I, I hope people got some information out of this and I really look forward to, to our next conversation. So until then, we'll see you guys out on the trails real soon. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast is brought to you by Blue Rub. Protect against friction and saddle sores, train harder, perform better, and recover faster with natural care, body care products from Blue Rub. See the entire collection at bluerub.com and by Built with Chocolate Milk. Recover from every workout with chocolate milk. It's the sports drink nature intended. Get more information at dairydiscoveryzone.com. Music provided by The Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer.